I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at bluenile.com and remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I want to work in a place that empowers me, that doesn't just tell me what to do or expect me to be an automaton. I want to be able to have that voice. I want to feel like I'm involved in decision making. And I think that's just the shift in generational expectation, right? People want to be more empowered and they feel like they can ask for it. And it's up to companies to actually give that to them. It seems like a simple thing, but it's so hard to actually do. How you day, how you day. That was the voice of Cynthia. Today's episode, we talk about how to build a real workplace culture of inclusivity, belonging, and equity. I love Cynthia's journey because you can tell that she lives this story. Her lived experience has been very impactful in her life, and she uses her lived experience to come up with frameworks and the best solution that she feels like we can come up with for inclusivity. A lot of you know that I run my own diversity, equity, inclusion firm, but to me, bringing on other people who do the work, who are involved in the day-to-day as well, gives you a different perspective. I don't want to just always be giving you my perspective. I want to also show you what's working in other places and what's not working in other places so you can make informed decisions about your own institutions as well as your own workplace. So I will tell you, her book is great and I want you to get it. I always include those in the show notes, so please get it out. And then she's just a warm person who is really enthusiastic about the work. So I think you're going to enjoy this interview. Have fun and take notes. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of As Told by Nomads, and today's guest is Cynthia Oyoung. Now, Cynthia is the author of this amazing new book. I have two copies of the book. It's called All or Welcome, How to Build a Real Workplace Culture of Inclusion that Delivers Results. Cynthia's career has been incredible in the sense that she's established and led diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives in multiple industries. You can think of Charles Schwab, GitHub, Yahoo, now with Robin Hood. And she's been recognized for influence and thought leadership in the space. So if there was anyone who could talk about the topic of diversity, of equity, of inclusion, of belonging, Cynthia is the one. So we're going to dive into her book and how she got to where she got to. And I'm really excited to welcome her to the show. Welcome, Cynthia. Oh, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Pleasure is mine. I want to dive into the book because. I think you have such an interesting story. You know, one of the first things you say in the book is how you never used to fit in anywhere. And I know why you said that, but give the audience a glimpse of why you never truly fit in until 
you found your group with the multicultural community later on in life? Yeah, so I am Asian American. My parents were immigrants from China. I was their first generation born here in America. And so I grew up in a household that was governed by very traditional sort of Chinese cultural values, which at times ran very counter to sort of traditional American cultural values. You know, where my parents settled was in a neighborhood in San Francisco called the Bayview District, which has a very high percentage of African-American population. So I was, you know, Chinese growing up in American culture in this really, you know, strong Black community and never really feeling like I could fit in anywhere because at school, I was never Chinese enough for my Chinese speaking friends. And I certainly wasn't white enough for um, my non-Chinese speaking friends. And when I tried to like gravitate towards the black cliques at school, clearly I wasn't one of them. (laughs) (laughs) So it was just never feeling like I really belonged anywhere until high school when I found folks who were also American-born Chinese had sort of similar kind of stories that I had about growing up and navigating this line between cultural Chinese and cultural American norms and could really relate to that immigrant story as well of having immigrant parents. And so that's where it started to really feel like, okay, you know, I can be more of myself amongst this group of folks and really feel like I had that tight knit support of my friends. And thank you for saying that and sharing that. I wanted you to set that up for the audience because your book is called All Are Welcome. And the implication to that is there's space for everyone in the world. But you and I, We've lived in interesting environments where we've seen the realities of biases and how it creates structures within the system. She brought up different traditions there, traditional Chinese versus traditional American. And within the traditions that we grow up in, there are multiple things to unlearn for all to be truly welcome. So in your opinion, with your lived experience and your professional experience, what are those barriers that currently exist for true inclusion or equity or belonging or diversity? is a big question. <laughs> I, you know, I, I wanted to do the easy question at first and now <laughs> ramp up to the true question, because honestly, you know this, you're in this field, there is that fatigue in the industry that we're in as DEI practitioners where people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, I know, I know, I know what to do. But the true actual thing we need to figure out is how to go against that barriers. And for some people, they're not actually aware of the barriers that exist. So I, I wanted to give that opportunity to discuss. Yeah, I mean, it is a really good, deep question that we have to address and frankly, probably isn't addressed enough in Mm -hmm. conversation, Mm -hmm. especially in corporate America, where we're really good at ignoring problems and or not owning them. So I think that when we talk about barriers, there are so many from stereotype threats that exist 
stereotypes are their own sort of mindset barrier to being able to perceive somebody for truly who they are and what they bring, as opposed to this idea based on other beliefs that we can bring to the table. Um, And that's related to all of the biases that each of us brings around just perception and how we treat others and how we interpret their actions and their words. That's one of the biggest invisible barriers for people who are different. Because again, people come with their preconceived notions of what it means to be a woman and a leader, a person of color who is having a voice. There's all of these biases to give us this sort of negative or less positive perception of people that we then take into how we evaluate, assess, and act towards them. That's a huge barrier. Those are like tip of the iceberg because all beneath that are all of the systemic barriers that we've created consciously for different communities. Going back hundreds of years, the legacy of slavery in America and how that has translated into a legislation that limits people's rights, like voter rights. And we see that today happening. And they're just like cloaks for discrimination and oppression. And I mean, I think about the Chinese Exclusion Act back in the early 1900s and how that has impacted the Asian community over time. And so there's all of these types of barriers and legacies that exist that are things that we have to be mindful of and openly address in order to really start to drive more progress in this space. And I think that too often we minimize some of that history and we tend to think of the work as if we talk about it, then we're making it worse than it is. And I have the complete opposite perspective around that. I think that we have to talk about it. I think that it's really necessary to unpack all of the ingrained learning and ideas and stereotypes that we all hold and hold a light up to all of the ways that that manifests itself in how systems are created and processes and practices are implemented and you know acknowledge that in some cases that means that some communities are left behind and we have to do something about it. I couldn't agree with you more and I agree that we need to have the conversation. There's a tricky landscape though today with having the conversation. In your book, you talk about the importance of something I believe in, conducting an audit, a unique audit for your company. I want you to give us some ways we can conduct audits in companies today because a barrier I've noticed with audits is the idea of cancel culture and truly saying what you mean. And so I wonder if you can share different ways we can conduct audit and also create safe spaces for people to be honest about where they are right now and what they're really thinking about people that you want to populate the company with? So the best place to start is with your data. You really need to look at representation across different dimensions of diversity in your data as it relates to hiring, promotion, customer satisfaction scores, product development and review scores, whatever aspect of your business that you're able to collect that information on are things that will help you to define whether or not there are issues, concerns, you know, lack of equity, lack of diversity, gaps in those spaces. And that can help 
inform what you do in terms of actions moving forward. So I think the first place to start is to really holistically look at your data. And then the other piece to really think about is the inclusion side, which is a lot harder for folks to measure. Lots of companies will implement surveys to understand the different experiences that their employees are having at the company and if there's inequity in those experiences. And so having a survey and looking at that by different dimensions of diversity and asking people specifically around their experiences of belonging and community and inclusion and fairness at the company are all really important signals for leaders to understand, okay, you know, do I have issues? Is there a place that I need to really focus on? And then the other part of this, I think, is also related in that you have to get behind the data sometimes and really talk to people. You know, I think it's just so important not to just think about the numbers, but to also get to what people are really experiencing and feeling in your company. And so, talking to them and creating that safe space, as you mentioned earlier, where they are comfortable enough to really share their authentic experiences and perceptions and feelings about inclusion at the company is really important to kind of inform the nuances behind some of that data and where you should focus. So, you know, I think all of those things are really important to be coupled with then looking at just sort of your business practice, evaluating and involving those employees in sharing kind of, you know, do we feel like our hiring process is equitable? Do we feel like how we promote people is transparent? Are we communicating enough about diversity, equity, inclusion? Do our benefits really serve you and what might be missing? So all of those things are things that you have to like look at holistically across the company as part of your audit to really help you hone in on what are the key priorities What do I need to focus on that's really going to help us make a difference in this space? In other words, don't use something that isn't bespoke, isn't customized. Don't just do a cookie cutter approach because the fact of the matter is your company is going to have people from different backgrounds and lived experiences. And if you don't know them, you're not going to be able to serve them. That's exactly right. So many companies, they'll be like, oh, well, this is a best practice. Like this worked at XYZ company. So let's do that here. And then they wonder why it doesn't actually drive any change at the company and (laughs) or people don't embrace it for some reason. You know, it's because you can't just do that cookie cutter thing. You can't just always translate what works at one company into your own company because every company, culture is different, people are different, industries are different. And so issues will also be different and how you have to solve them needs to be, to your point, very customized and bespoke. 100%. Obviously. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role 
like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. The other aspect of this then becomes business results, right? People always talk about profits. We want to market share, all those things. And you've worked with companies in the past that have been one of the leaders in their industries. How do we get across to leaders that people and profits are intrinsically tied together? You know, hopefully leaders understand that you can't drive profit if your people aren't happy and feeling that sense of belonging and inclusion and, you know, able to do their best work. Belonging and inclusion and diversity are not unrelated concepts to performance. There's lots of research that says that the more diversity you have on your teams, the more creative and innovative they are. The more diverse your leadership teams are, the better financial performance your company has relative to your peers. So we know that when employees feel that sense of equity and inclusion at the company, that that translates to more productivity and that translates to those better business results. I think companies, leaders would be remiss in not recognizing that and having some focus on making sure that their people are feeling like the company is really truly committed to driving diversity, equity, inclusion, and seeing follow through on that. 100%. I want to just, you know, go back to another aspect of your career. Canvas ranked you as one of the, you know, top 100 plus remarkable women in HR. So you've done a lot of work in HR, human resource, and congrats on your achievement. By extension of that, you get to see the trend that happens right now. When we are experiencing a significant shift, we at the crossroads of what the great resignation is. You know, a lot of people leaving companies and a new generation is also entering the workforce. I've been observing the new generation from a professional and personal standpoint as a researcher and a professor, and they want different things. <laughs> and they want to find companies that really reflect their values. What have you noticed in terms of the trends as the generation shifts, as we navigate the COVID era and the great resignation era? Oh, yeah. You know, as the generation is shifting and in this unprecedented time that we're in, the biggest thing that I've seen is that expectation is so much higher. 20 years ago, when I started in this space, the topic of diversity, equity, inclusion in companies was really around affirmative action. They were just starting to have this conversation of diversity as driving innovation in companies, but that was pretty nascent. And you started to see that grow over the next 10 years. And then things really accelerated when Google released their numbers in 2014 and started the accountability conversation in this space. And then the last few years with the pandemic and the murder of George Floyd and all of the social unrest that followed and then followed by the anti-Asian violence that happened and continues to happen. Continues to happen. Yes, (laughs) absolutely. All of these external events with the advent of social media and technology and our ability to see what's going on in a very immediate and visceral way that we hadn't been able to see 10, 15 years ago, I think that all contributes to this set of higher expectations that the more recent generations are experiencing and demanding 
more of their leaders, of their companies. You know, they're growing up in the most ethnically, multiracially diverse generation that we've ever had. And so there's this baseline of expectation of, of course, we need diversity. I grew up with it. Why isn't it in the company? And of course, we have to take care of the planet and we have to take care of our communities and we have to take care of each other because I can see all of these things happening in the world and they're very immediate and in front of me. And how can we not address it? So there is a level of demand that I think has been some of the highest sense of need that I've seen over time to the here and now. You know, and as an observer, the interesting response I've seen to that is, you know, I'm sure the truth is always in, in between, but this idea of people feeling the younger generation is too entitled and are we giving too much in? Or then you hear, oh, it's the woke culture <laughs> or all of these things. And, you know, I always think these are very broad generalizations. But my concern, especially as someone who is a practitioner and then an observer as well, is there seems to be a great divide that I've noticed that the pandemic even just exacerbated, where when you're trying to discuss social change and what needs to happen in the company, there's so much resistance based on one's identity. And you're going to take away what worked and you're going to put something that isn't there or you are giving everyone a trophy generation. And I'm just curious how you navigate that in interviews <laughs> and how you translate that to companies when you're bringing them into the talent management pool or the talent pool rather. It's interesting that that whole sense, like that generational entitlement thing, I think comes with every generation. I right. Right. <laughs> I know. I know every I know my parents generation used to talk about, the, you know, <laughs> that happening with that. But I just always it's just so funny to observe. But yes, it is. It is. Yeah. My parents, you know, think that, you know, I was entitled and I'm like, you know, I'm looking at my kids and I'm like, oh, they are growing up with way more than I grew up with. Right. And yeah. I think it's a very generational thing to do. And so I don't know that any generation is actually actually any more entitled than any previous generation really is. Mm -hmm. I do know that what we have to do is to think about how they interpret and move through the world and what their expectations are, because the world is different from when I grew up or when my parents grew up. And so what they've had to deal with is also very different, right? And so I think, you know, when we think about interviews, even that, the way that we've interviewed it and our concept of what makes a really good interview and employee at the company has changed over time yeah. right? As with everything. And, you know, I think interviews need to focus on competency and skill set and expertise and experiences that people bring to the table and recognizing that your lived experiences are just as valid as competencies and skill sets, as those hard skills of like being able to code. There's value in that. And I think that we're now in a point on the continuum of DEI work where we can recognize that there is value in that. And so that's what I want people to think about when they're thinking about how do you manage this next generation of folks coming in? It's really about how do we make sure that we're providing an environment that works for them, that works with the way they work, the way that they think, the way that they can be their best selves and be the most productive selves, whether that is, again, meeting that expectation of like, hey, higher benefits, right? Or meeting that expectation. And this is related to your great resignation question, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I want to work in a place that empowers me, that doesn't just tell me what to do or expect me to be an automaton. I want to be able to have that voice. I want to feel like I'm involved in decision-making. And I think that's just the shift in generational expectation, right? People want to be more empowered and they feel like they can ask for it. And it's up to companies to actually give that to them. 100%. It seems like a simple thing, but it's so hard to actually do. It's simple, but not easy. That's what I always say. And so to your point of lived experiences, a lot of people have grown accustomed to their lived experience and obviously to companies that came with a level of profit and claim and validation of one's privilege. And then once the new generation starts to really push against it and the younger generation, even, you know, I'm in the millennial generation, but even something I'm noticing because I exist to be an agitator, but something that I've loved about the younger generation is that they're not interested in working within the system, which is what I love. They actually want to just shake up every single thing and come in and disrupt us. Now, obviously, there are varying degrees of success there, and there are different ways to do that. But I've seen the pendulum swing the other way. It just leaves us as an interesting place because I wonder what's going to happen with the next election. I wonder what's going to happen with the next set of content creators and next set of marketing ideas and how we even create content and view the world anymore. Because if we don't figure out how to have these conversations, it's going to be wild with the advent of media and metaverse and all these other things. Oh, I know. I totally agree. <laughs> he says, oh, I know. You know. <laughs> totally agree. Totally there needs agree. to be systems. That's, my, that's the ultimate core of my question is, how can we make sure we're putting a very good structure that is keeping inclusion safe, diversity safe, but not being irresponsible with these new platforms we have mm-hmm. and the power that comes from that? I don't expect you to know the answers, but it's just a thought in my head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, isn't that the bigger conversation around the technology industry, right? And what you said, meta and the metaverse. And and we've seen it with social media. And so the wonderful positive effects of that, you know, you think about natural disasters and how humanitarian relief can like, you know, just come and support so quickly through those types of mediums. But, you know, the flip side or the dark side of that is higher rates of suicide, mental health issues, people having, especially the younger folks having like, you know, addiction to screens and things like that. I mean, there's definitely that yin and yang balance that needs to be struck and it's hard. And I don't know that there is any great answer. Not yet. (laughs) I don't think, I don't think I know too. I just think we need to figure out to hold space for conflicting truths. And that's going to be the hardest things for us to do as we figure out how to move past this era. That's right. Yeah. And it's a responsibility to do that. Yes. Well. Yes. hundred percent. Well, your book is out. <laughs> All are welcome. And you've been just discussing multiple ways. Can you tell us why you think this book is important right now? Because there are not enough companies engaged in this work. I wrote the book to really scale my ability to drive impact across corporate America and corporations in the world, frankly. I think that companies can be forces for good. Each of our companies, our organizations are microcosms of broader society. And so we need to be able to drive change within our spheres of control. And so company leaders have a responsibility to drive more diversity, equity, and inclusion in their companies. And collectively, the more companies that do that, the more change that we'll be able to drive across society. This book is really for any organizational leader, HR professional, employee advocate 
or activist that wants to drive change. I wanted to give folks a really clear playbook for how to do that, because I think, again, if in the backdrop of the Great Resignation, of Asian violence, the pandemic, the events following George Floyd, we are in this inflection moment where we can tip towards that moral arc of justice in a really intentional way. I hope that people read the book, take the lessons that I've learned over the years and really apply it so that we can really drive in that right direction. 100%. Where can people get the book? Anywhere books are sold. So Amazon, Barnes and Noble, if you want to support your local independent bookstore, IndieBound.org or Bookshop, those are great places to order the book. Thank you so much for sharing everything you shared. I always ask my guests this final question, which is my mission statement reframed as a question. So Cynthia, how do you use your difference to make a difference? By being who I am and doing the work that I do every day. I think just showing up as my authentic self and helping companies drive more diversity, equity, inclusion, and helping employees have a voice in how we do it is how I make a difference in this space. Well, thank you for being authentic. Thank you for being vulnerable. It's been a real pleasure. I always love meeting fellow practitioners and King's Queen's Royalty. Please get this book. This is amazing. I'm glad that you are in the space. Congratulations on all your success. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I so appreciate all of your kind words. Thank you. Pleasure's mine. King's Queen's Royalty. Till next time, use a difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 